You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. This is a paraphrase of scripture for this morning. Generations of men cycle through, as does the chaos they represent. Evil covers the face of the earth, and the spirit of God hovers over one man. With a remorseful heart, the Lord determines to start again. Noah, his servant, is told to build and fill while he prepares the rain. Over 40 days and 40 nights, everything is made new. An olive leaf signals a new peace, and the first family are given everything. God sets a covenant in the sky. The seats will never again escape their bounds. God's servant builds an altar and plants a vineyard and begins to drink. This is the story of God. All right. Uh, We are in this narrative journey through the Bible. If you haven't been with us, I will encourage you to go back and to catch up. Things may feel a little uh, weird or or begging for more explanation. And so I'll just encourage you to to take some time and go listen to where we've been. But uh, before we kind of get back into the story, I actually want to begin with a poem to kind of orient us. You've you've heard this poem, I would imagine. It's, It's not all that unfamiliar. It's by Robert Frost, and it's called The Road Not Taken. It says this, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there, had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, and leaves no step had trodden back. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet, knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Last week when we started the story, we we were centered on a family and on two first sons, and today we enter through two remaining sons, Cain, the one Eve made, and Seth, the one God granted her. And these two sons, these two bloodlines, also signify two paths into humanity. If you remember, seven is the number of completion in the Hebrew uh, culture. And so when we look, there's something telling about these seven generations from Eve through Cain. We reached a man named Lamech, a vengeful and impulsive man, determined to order the chaos of the world on his own. And now today we're going to pick up this story through that other bloodline, that other path, Seth, the son that was given. 
The story goes that seven generations from his parents through Seth, we find a man named Enoch. The story says of Enoch that he walked faithfully with God and then he was no more because God took him away. I think that's interesting because where Cain's line is typified by death and ends with Lamech, this man who avenges and says 70, 70 times seven, I will murder anyone who harms me. Seth's line is defined by eternal life, free from death by God's rescue. In the seventh generation, man just walks into everlasting relationship with his God. This is important because not only are we tracking this family in the story, but there is a whole world around them that has progressed. And well, it appears that the world, the, the well-traveled road, not just for humanity, but for the world at large, well, it's been defined by evil. The story says that even the Elohims, if you remember, Elohims is a title for divine beings. And the story says that even these divine beings had seen the daughters of, of men and they had, come, they had come down to earth and they had had sex with them and they had made children and they had moved across all the earth and everything, everything had been consumed by evil. And then there's the Lord. And this is what is said of him. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination and the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted. Another way of understanding that word there is that the Lord held remorse. He, he set his intention to turn away from a plan that he had made. It says the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. And so he said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. We've been talking about chaos, the neutrality of chaos, when it is ordered by God, it can be a good and fruitful thing, but when chaos escapes its bounds, well, then it starts to give way with sin. Sin being the ways in which we all try in our own power to order the chaos of the world. But what of evil? Well, if we have the chaotic waters and we have the sin, our futile attempts to order it, well, evil is the contempt we hold for the gracious ways that God has kept chaos in its bounds. So for these people, these sons of Cain and the world at large, there was no regard for the order that the Lord had created. And had created so that they could live. There was only rejection of it. And so evil was on their mind and in their hands all the time. And this leaves the Lord with a grieving heart. And so he decides that he is going to remove his restraining hands from the chaotic waters above the sky and below the earth. The Lord had placed a firmament that separated the waters. So there were waters above this firmament, those chaotic waters, but they were placed where they couldn't do harm. 
And then for the waters below, he had made the dry ground, he had created the seas, he had put them in their order. And so these two things, these, these, these invisible graces allow there to be dry land on which life can live. But now, because of their contempt, God is going to give them what they want, which is to remove his hand from those waters and give them their chance to order it on their own. But as always the case with man trying to order, his, order chaos, he was helpless and he was destined for death. But there was one man on the earth who did not hold the ordering of the Lord in contempt. He too came from the line of Seth and his name was Noah. Now, like his ancestor Enoch, it was said that Noah was a righteous man who walked with God blameless even. One day the Lord comes to Noah and he describes how, how chaotic and evil, chaos and evil and sin had come to cover the whole of the earth just as it was in the beginning and that he was going to pull things back into order. Noah and his family are given meticulous instructions to construct a vessel that could withstand the impending chaotic waters. So we have this ship, right? It's, it's like this, the seed of the restarted world. Everything that will be is encased in this ark. And there is wholeness and there is chaos even within this ark. There's seven of every clean animal. There's a pair of unclean animals. So the clean and the unclean have their place in the Lord's good grace. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate. These are the instructions to Noah and his family, and true to his heritage, Noah obeys. For Noah and his family, they enter a boat they did not design and had not tested. And they watched as the rain began to fall and the groundwaters began to rise. Those invisible graces removed. And they witnessed everything they once knew get swept away. There was a window Noah had made in the ark. And I imagine he looked at it, looked out at it. I don't know if he would have at first, because I think what he would have seen would have been too hard to bear. And I imagine that every time he glimpsed out the window, there was a reminder that he was surrounded by death and chaos. And just like in the garden, Salvation inside the ark is total and complete. And outside of the garden and outside of this ark, destruction is total and complete. And sometimes I just think about, I wonder what all Noah left behind. Of 
For 40 days and for 40 nights, the waters rise and the waters fall and everything is submerged. After 40 days of longing for dry land and the ability to have a full life again, not constricted to a boat, Noah sends scouts, first a raven and then a dove. The story says that Noah opened that window he'd made in the ark and he sent out a raven and it kept flying back and forth because that's what ravens do. They won't land if there's nowhere to and so they just go back and forth. He never came back into the ark. And then he sent on a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground but the dove could find nowhere to perch because there, there, wasn't, there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it too came back to Noah. The story says he reached out his hand and he took the dove and he brought it back to himself in the ark. And I have to wonder if in that moment, time and again, when he sends out his scouts, if Noah ever questioned whether the Lord, the Lord had reserved enough of his ordering power to pull back the waters again so that he and his family could one day know the feel of the ground, the taste of an olive, the ability to build a new home. Eventually Noah's patience was rewarded and the dove came back with an olive leaf in its mouth. This was a sign of new life. The waters had pulled back the God he loved had not broken faith. And eventually the Lord opens the doors. And only then, only then when the Lord has opened the door does the man Noah, whose name means rest, he and his family and all the animals clean and unclean that they were tasked with stewarding, they enter a new world in good relationship with the Lord. And to them, the Lord says this, I now give you everything. Noah has become a new Adam. And the world is his for his and his family and all the animals and all the greenery and everything in between, it is theirs. Except for one thing. There's one thing they are not to eat. See, in the first garden, only plants were made for eating, but now all things are permissible, animals included. But their blood is not to be consumed, for it carries life. This is the one thing that Noah must abide by. So Noah offers his worship. He builds the altar, it says, and he places some of these animals on it and he sacrifices them in a burnt offering to the Lord. And it says that the aroma was pleasing to the Lord. As Noah offers his worship, the Lord, well, the Lord offers a promise, a covenant that he will never again let the chaotic waters be allowed to fully cover the earth. And as a sign, the Lord puts a bow in the sky. Now, there isn't a distinction, there isn't a distinction in the Hebrew language between a rainbow, the phenomenon, or a bow, the weapon. 
So for, for Noah, as he looks and sees a bow, it is, God's, it is a sign that God's terrible might is also a sign of his restrained grace. Before we take our pause in this story for today, I, I want to interject something that, that honestly just haunts me every time I revisit this story. So we have these cycles of chaos, right? There was the first people and everything was perfect. And then the chaos spills with the eating of the fruit. And then they start again and they have a family and the sons and then there's murder. And then we come and it spreads and it spreads. And now we have this, this third son and the second and the first son. And again, just chaos, chaos keeps escaping its bounds. And you have this God who keeps kind of pulling it back in order. We're on like the fourth iteration of this story. There's a creator and there's the chaos but there's also one more thing, which is the silence between them. It's easy to overlook, but through this entire story, a God who calls him to build an ark, loading up all his animals, loading up his family, moving himself in, outlasting this storm, coming back out, establishing a new life, Noah doesn't say a single recorded word. I mean, he's called a righteous man and a faithful man, and I don't doubt it, but honestly, I'm disturbed by it. Because I know that righteous men bear the weight of their choices, particularly the hard ones. I just kind of like think about all the some things and the some ones that bobbed on the surface when the waters first fell. And Noah, this dutiful soldier, it seems that he, at least it wasn't worthy of recording, he offers no lament, he offers no question, no opposition to his God. And it just makes me think, I wonder if he thought he'd be rejected like would he, would he, if he raised his voice to what he was witnessing, would he end up out in the waters too? Or I wonder if Noah believed that it wasn't his to wonder why but to do or die, to just obey. Or maybe he just couldn't find the words. I mean, we can't really know for sure, but this I do find telling. So the story goes, and this is where we end our time with the story for the day. I find it telling that the very first thing that Noah does after all he's seen, after all he's done, after being handed stewardship over the new earth, straight away it says that Noah, a man of the soil, 
proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of his wine, he became drunk. The first thing he does is get drunk. And I wonder what pain he was trying to wash away. I wonder what thoughts he was trying to silence. Well, the cycle and the story will continue next week. <laughs>